Thanks for listening to Beyond the Summit, a podcast by the Keene Seventh Adventist Church. We're in a new series called As It Is in Heaven on Earth. And it's a series focused on one of Jesus' most prolific teachings on prayer. It's found in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. We're going verse by verse, line by line, through the Lord's Prayer. And we're learning along the way about how and where heaven touches earth and how prayer changes our lives. Excited for what this series is already doing in our community. Let's dive in to today's episode. We are just about halfway through a series called As It Is. And we're in a season where the sermon series between all three of our services are, are coalescing together. And in Elevate, you've had several guest speakers uh, over the, the past several weeks. And Pastor Anthony, our new young adult pastor, um, speak towards this theme. Uh, and I'm honored to be asked back again uh, to share with you this week under that same sermon series and under the topic that we're going on today, which is forgiveness. And it's found in Matthew chapter six, verse 12. So to get our minds percolating on this topic, I want to throw a Slido up on the screen. We've got a lot of things to cover today. So we're going to move fairly quickly through this. So if you want to participate in a quiz, uh, by the way, uh, how many Southwestern Adventist University students do we have here this morning? A few of you, the few, the proud, the brave. Everybody else is on spring break. Uh, we're praying for them as they go. If you want to, if you want to add somebody to your prayer list, Pray for university students, all right? They just finished midterms and they've got a month and a half to go and then summer break is there and the uh, procrastination is real. Slido.com, code 114. Any seniors in the house? Senioritis kicking in? Yeah, it's coming. We're praying for you. Uh, Everybody there, mostly? Anybody need mercy? Need a little more time? Okay, I heard a yes. Give you five, four, three, two, one. First one up on the screen. Want to hear, see your response here. I've put a pin in the map in the lobby. I've put a pin in the map of the lobby. See that big map that showed up uh, in the lobby a couple of weeks ago? Uh, 70% of the room says no. Here's an activity for you this afternoon, as you or this morning, as you leave Elevate today. Uh, we've got a map in the lobby where we're isolating places in our community. Where are you praying? Where are you, where's your quiet place? Where's the, the pray that the place that you pray to God, that you, you and God connect. Uh, hopefully it's somewhere within the, the map that we've got on the lobby. And I invite you today as you head out, go ahead and uh, put a pin in there. And the 3% that said, maybe um, just think a little harder about it. You might remember. Uh, next one. The best way to kill a rat is to eat rat poison yourself. The best way to kill a rat is to eat the rat poison yourself. Yeah, there's a throwaway answer in there, right? Um, The 6% of the room that said, yes, we'll pray for you. Please pay attention to today's message before you have lunch. (laughs) And then, yeah, uh, 57% of the room is like, what kind of a question is that, right? Yep, we'll talk about that one today. Uh, Three more for you. My first instinct is to forgive when I am wronged. My first instinct, instinct is to forgive when I am wronged. What say you? My first instinct is to forgive when I am wronged. 50% 50% of the room says no. Thank you for your honesty. 23% of the room, 20, uh, it's starting to get a little less. 30% of the room is saying probably depends on the situation, right? Whether it's your first instinct or not. Um, and the 20% that are saying yes, uh, courage to you is that's your first instinct when you're wronged. Two more for you. I have been forgiven before. I have been forgiven before. Have you been forgiven before? 
I was quick. 95% of the room, about 80 people responding say yes. 5% say maybe. Maybe you're wrestling through whether you deserve forgiveness. You've received that from God or not. And then 1% says no. All right, last one. Prayer and forgiveness go hand in hand. Prayer and forgiveness go hand in hand. Yes, no, or maybe. If we're in a series on prayer and we're talking about forgiveness, maybe this is too easy even a question. 90% of the room says, yep, absolutely. Um, I don't even need to preach today. We can just go home. Uh, and then about 10, 8, 8, 10% of the room is like, eh, I'm not so sure. We're going to explore that this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start off verses 9 through 12, reading the Lord's Prayer. You know this already, Matthew chapter 6. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let's say this together. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hear you. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And this is the part of the passage where we pump the brakes today, pull off to the side of the road and say, this is the scenic overlook that we're going to be looking at today. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The question that came to mind for me this week is, what is the nature of forgiveness? If forgiving others and us receiving forgiveness is connected, what's the nature of it? And, and then what's the connection to prayer? Because it's embedded in the middle of the prayer. Well, it's awesome because scripture helps answer scripture. All right? If you're wondering what scripture has to say, you find other places in scripture that help corroborate what scripture is getting at. And there's this guy by the name of Peter. I don't know if you've heard of him before who's in the Bible, who uh, doesn't have a filter. He speaks before he thinks, right? And thanks to Peter, we get some incredible insights into the gospel because he's willing to say the thing that we may be reluctant to say. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. That's the bulk of where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Told you I'm going to hit it with you quick today. Then Peter came to him, that's to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And when Jesus is faced with the question, how often should we forgive? Basically, his answer is this. How often should we forgive? Yes. That's how often we should forgive. Yes. Always. Every time it comes around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How, do, how do we understand that? Yes. Yes, we are called to forgive. And Jesus hyperbolizes his answer and says, not seven times, I'll raise you one. Multiply 70 times, seven times. Now you do the math and you're like, oh, this is the amount of times that we should forgive. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is saying, you think you should forgive seven times and then you need to forgive another. And you think you've done it and then forgiven another. You think you've done it, forgiven another, forgiven another, forgiven another. Because here's the thing, forgiveness is an assumed reality in the kingdom of God. That to be a follower of Jesus, just as prayer is integral to being a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is the same. Jesus doesn't mix words when he talks about forgiveness. And we're going to look at a story in a moment where that is just the case. Jesus forgives that, Jesus assumes that forgiveness is a part of the kingdom reality. And he teaches his disciples to forgive again and again and again. And to illustrate this, he tells a story. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, just the next verse. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors had brought, had brought in 
one of of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And we can adjust for inflation today and just say it's billions of dollars, okay? That was an attempt to be funny. He couldn't pay. Inflation's not funny. I know it's, it's painful. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it. I will pay it all. Let that language sink into your head for a moment. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. A simple story. We're not told how this individual has come to amass this amount of debt. Uh, He's borrowing a lot. Gets to a point where the king is like, you've got to pay for it. It doesn't really matter how he got into the situation. What matters is that his debt is basically unpayable. That no matter how much he works for the rest of his life, he will always be in debt to this king. And so the only way the king can think to rectify it is to say, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your kids and everything you own. So that for the rest of your life, you will work to pay off this debt and it will satisfy the debt that you have incurred. And faced with his life in slavery and his family and losing everything, he says, whoa, hold on. Would you please be patient with me? As if the king has not already been patient with him, right? I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt. And the king says, okay, I'll have have mercy on you. Count it as paid. You are free to go. You are absolved of the debt. He realized that in his moment of need, the only thing he could do was call out. And we find ourselves in the same debt often. Hopefully not one of material, but certainly one that is spiritual. That we are sinners We live in a sinful world and sin is what separates us from God. And the access we have to God is through forgiveness. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, you cannot save yourself. You have incurred an unpayable debt. Even more than incurred, you have inherited an unpayable debt. One that you could spend the rest of your life working towards and never see the fruits of your labor. You can't save yourself. So what we do when we recognize our great need is we turn to someone who can do something about it. King, would you give me a little bit of, would you be patient with me? I can repay the debt. Remember, excuse me, I remember a couple years ago, we, uh, uh, we just moved to Keene, first time homeowners uh, and all the excitement and uh, all the challenges that comes with that, right? And uh, it was a couple months in and one of those storms popped up. You know the kind, not the one that blows through the town uh, just kind of for a couple of hours and it rains a little bit and then the sun comes out and it's like, oh, did we even have a storm? No, one of those Texas storms that comes around every five years or so where it just rains and it rains and it rains and it rains and the duck pond has turned into just this flowing river, right? Well, one of those storms occurred and I woke up one morning with the rain coming down in the, on, the, in, on the roof and Melissa was getting up to go to work. And I'd go into one section of our house and I realize that a particular place where water is not supposed to be, water has become to accumulate and it's coming in quicker than I can really think about what to do about. So I, she goes off to work, I race in, I grab some towels. I think maybe we can cl- you know, clean this up and abate it and just pray for God to stop the rain. And I go through one towel and I go through another and I go through another and I go through another and I realize that throwing towels at this is not gonna, it's not gonna fix the problem. 
So then I start to think, I was like, can I bucket this out of here? Can I get a pump? And I opt with just a broom. I'm like, let me just broom this water out. There's an outside door where the water was coming in. It's like, let me just broom this water out. And out, like four or five hours go by that I'm just working as hard as I can to keep this water out. Mind you, it's raining and raining and raining and raining outside. And it felt a little bit like being on a sinking ship and all you had to bail water was like this little cup. And as much as you throw out, 10 times comes in and you're just, you know, working, 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 working hard. And I got to the point that I realized there was literally, I tried everything I could think of. There was nothing I could do to fix the situation. And it was probably a good time to call my dad right? When you realize that you've done all that you can do, call dad. Dad can fix anything. He's at least got the experience about it. I call him, you know, vo- adrenaline pumping and he knows something's up. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, dad, I need your help. Got water where water is not supposed to be. Can you help me? Can you help me fix this? So he kind of says, give me a second. I'm going to pick up this. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. And I'm going to come over and I'm going to help you. And the rest of the day, we worked together to try to shore up where the water was coming in, get the rest of the water out so that it wouldn't damage the rest of the house. When we recognize our great need, that is where we have a willingness for help to come and to provide. And the same is true for forgiveness. Forgiveness begins with recognizing our need for grace, that I have an unpayable debt, that I've got something on my hands that I cannot deal with. God, I need some grace. God, I need some grace in my life. Back to the prayer for a moment, Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. It's not just enough to recognize our need and ask God for forgiveness. In turn, Jesus says, forgive those who sin against you. And in case we miss it, he will reiterate this point twice in two verses, Skip down a couple verses with me. Matthew chapter six, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Mm. That's a heavy passage. Because we like to think about God as the forgiving God, the one who cares, the one who provides, all all those in our mind. But this passage says, if we do not forgive people around us, then our father in heaven will not forgive us. How do we comprehend this? How do we understand? D.A. Carson in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, page 175 puts it this way. The repetition, the one that we just read, serves to stress the deep importance for the community of disciples, that's you and me, to be a forgiving community if its prayers are to be effective. In other words, when you pray for forgiveness for yourself, it must do something for the people around you or it will do nothing. And as we receive forgiveness from God, it propels us to forgive those around us. And the story continues, Matthew 18, verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and said, your debts are forgiven. I've been forgiven much. Go in peace. Does your Bible read that way? No. It says that he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. He's got him up against the wall and he says, your life for the money, buddy. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Notice what he says. Be patient with me. I will pay it. Does it sound familiar? It's exactly what this guy had said to to the king. But his creditor, the one who had been forgiven much, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in a man, the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't the forgiveness that I extended towards you also be extended to the ones that are in debt towards you? Because it was a little thing. I forgave you much and you're going after pennies? What's up with this? The forgiveness extended to this man did not transform his heart. He said, ha, I got out scot-free. Now I can go collect some money and I'll be on my way. And here's what happens to him. Matthew 18 verses 34 and 35. Then the anger king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus commenting on this story says this, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to give your brothers and sisters, to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Ouch. That's some serious language. Jesus says, your father in heaven will treat you the same way you treated this man if you are unwilling to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The forgiveness that you have received, it has not transformed your heart. God's gonna treat you the same way because the reality is that forgiveness experienced must be forgiveness shared or we have not truly experienced it. Forgiveness experience must be forgiveness shared. That as you receive forgiveness from God, it does something inside of you that then enables you and empowers you to forgive those around you. Because remember in the, in the story, he's going after a fellow servant not a position that's underneath him or somebody above him. They are on equal ground and the king has forgiven him much and he goes after a brother and sister and says, you owe me much. The same is true in our lives. Michael Green puts it this way in the message of Matthew commentary 101. For if we are, if we are open, if we are to open our hands to receive his gracious pardon, we cannot keep our fists tightly clenched against those who have wronged us. To pray the prayer Lord, forgive us, but just unleash everything on my neighbor. I have an unforgiving spirit against them. Is to think we're reaching out to God with an open palm to receive a blessing, but it's really a closed fist. And we have no apparatus to receive the blessing of God until we are willing to let the fist drop and to open our hand and say, Father, forgive and then help me forgive those around us. And we open-handedly receive the blessing of God and pass the blessing of God onto the people around us. Through prayer, we are empowered to carry forgiveness to others. We cannot accept the forgiveness of God and hold resentment against our brother and our sister. But you carry burdens. You've been wronged, I've been wronged. There are things that have happened into, in our lives that we do not repeat, that maybe only a few people know, and maybe only you and God and that other person know. That you've been abused or, or mistreated in a way that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And there's something that's happened to you. You're like, I can't think in the world about how I would forgive someone like that. How could I possibly extend forgiveness? Our passage, one more time, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
Notice who is handling what in this passage. God is the one who forgives sins. We are called to forgive people. There are outcomes in our life and circumstances in our lives that we do not have control over. That sin is infested and has been festering in our hearts and the hearts of our, our neighbors and our friends and our enemies. God says, I'm not calling you to forgive that. I'm not calling you to bring the answer to sin. I'm going to deal with the mess. What I'm asking you to do is walk with people through the mess. I'll take care of the sin. I'm asking you to forgive people. Don't hold what they've done against them. Now, I'm not advocating for an absolution of consequences. I'm not advocating for you to invite your abuser back into your life. But what I am saying is that there are real consequences for when we are wronged and we wrong others. And when we extend forgiveness, or perhaps said a better way, we'll back up. When we withhold forgiveness, when we harbor resentment in our hearts towards other people, and we bear down on the wrongs that have been done to us, and we poke at it and we say, you're the reason this, you're the reason that, I can't love because of this, I can't love because of that. Really what we're doing is we're harboring something inside of us that will ultimately kill us. We're eating the rat poison and expecting somebody else to die. And we sit up at our table and pour it out and we're like, Ugh. it's killing us on the inside. We're carrying burdens that we're not meant to carry. When we hold that resentment and anger and frustration, we're holding that against the other person and expecting something to happen. When God says, would you let me take care of the consequences? All I've asked you to do is extend forgiveness. Would you extend forgiveness to that person in your life? Because if we don't, the anger and the frustration and the ill will towards others will ultimately bring our own demise. Because forgiveness is about transformation. It's about transformation of your heart and about my heart. Ellen White puts it this way in the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 114. God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which he sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart. That's what forgiveness is all about, is the transformation of the heart. It's your heart and it's my heart. This particular topic is near and dear to myself and, and to our family. Some of you know of the tragedy that struck my wife, Melissa's family, a number of years ago. Early 2000s, she's a little girl, eight or nine years old, traveled with her family to serve as missionaries in the little island of Palau. If you were to take a pin and put it on the map and say, that's where Palau is, Palau gets covered by the pin and just <laughs> ceases to exist under that pin. They were set to be there five, six, seven years, something like that. And about a year and a half into their experience, beloved by the community, serving God, a couple of days before Christmas, someone broke into their home, took the life, of Melissa's parents and her brother, and then left her beside the road for dead. Tragedy, someone's life. They figure out who did it. They find her, they find the guy. He's the guy that did it, sentence him to life. The state, nation hosts a national funeral 
three caskets in this gymnasium, whole nation watching gathered around. The program goes through, family had traveled in and get down to the end of the program, you expect the dismissal and everything out. Melissa's grandmother steps up, she lost her son. Melissa's grandmother steps up to the stage and everybody's wondering what in the world's gonna, what's gonna happen. She goes to the mic and she says these words, I'm wondering if the mother of the murderer is here this afternoon. His name was Justin. Is Justin's mom here? Invites her up. She's there. Invites her up. Comes and stands beside her. And Melissa's grandmother, Ruth, Ruth DePiva, some of you, some of you uh, may know her, a member of this community, puts her arm around her and says these words, we are two mothers grieving lost sons. Do not hold Justin's actions against her or her family or against Justin. We forgive you. And let me tell you, in an honor and shame culture, those words were like a bath of cold water that covered the entire nation. In that culture, in Palau, if you do something or somebody in your family does something to somebody else, you hold that against them for their entire life. It brings shame on the family and you're reminded day after day of the wrong action committed against someone. We forgive you. We can't go back and undo the wrong, but we forgive you. Fast forward about 15 years, Melissa and I are married at this point. We had the chance to, we were invited to go back to Palau. It'd be the first time that she'd go back. She would share that one day I want to come back to Palau. I want to come back, have the opportunity to do so. While we're there, those of you subscribed to the church newsletter, read the little story yesterday I shared of our experience in the ocean. Got to see the beauty of, of Palau, one of the most renowned dive spots in the world. More importantly, we got to connect with people, some of the most lovely people in the world. And while we're there, one of the leaders pulls Melissa aside and says, hey, do you, do you want to see Justin? She's taken a little bit back, doesn't know how to respond to that. It's been many years, forgiveness extended, healing, but now again, the opportunity to, uh, face, to face the murderer who the last time she saw him was in a courtroom saying, yeah, that's the guy. What would you do? We talked about it, gathered as a family, prayed over it. We had grandparents there and uh, support group and local pastors and just people surrounded. And we spent about two hours talking about this. What are we going to do? And the decision is made. Let's go see Justin. So we go. Jail is ironically about a block away from the church, just across the, the side of the street. We're escorted over there. Walk into this meeting room, this plastic folding tables, you know, the kind. And there he stands, Justin, with a guard next to him. And we as a family sit on the other side of the table and we sit down. And he shares some words of, of remorse and, and sorrow and what God has been doing in his life. Family begins to, to speak and to address. We kind of go down the line. It gets to the point that Melissa has the opportunity to speak. Melissa, local pastor says, Melissa, would you, do, you, do you want to say anything? She didn't have anything planned, but here are the words that come out of her mouth through tears. She says, we are no better than you, talking to Justin. We're no better than you. Can't go back and fix the past. I'm not going to wallow in, what we're, what, 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 in, in harboring resentment against you. And one day, I look forward to the day that Jesus calls my parents and my brother home, and me too. And I look forward to you being there as well. 
one of the most powerful moments in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit the most, just God's hand over that room, thick and heavy. Forgiveness extended. Transformation happened. Healing happened. It doesn't fix the past. It doesn't right the wrong. There are consequences for the wrong. But what it does is it releases us from the poison of resentment that will kill us in our lifetime. I'm always amazed the courage Melissa has in her family that though tragedy struck to respond in such a forgiving way. And I can only think about some words that a man said about 2000 years ago as he's hanging on an instrument of execution. In Luke 23, verse 34, with the weight of the sin on the world and those who are killing him in front of him, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, with the weight of your sin and my sin and the entire world on his shoulders, extends forgiveness to those who killed him. How much more then do we have the opportunity to extend forgiveness? Richard Foster in his book on prayer puts it this way. We who follow Jesus Christ have been given the gracious ministry of bringing God's forgiveness to one another. Every single time we extend forgiveness, we participate in the gospel. The good, good news that says your unpayable debt has been taken care of, signed, sealed, and delivered. Can I share just a little bit of you? The wrong that you've done against me pales in comparison to the debt that I owe to the creator of all things. He's taken care of my debt. Can I take care of yours? And we'll figure out a way to walk through the mess in the in-between. The reason we can forgive is because God has forgiven much. And the reason that Jesus connects forgiveness to prayer is so that when in our heart, we've got some things to work out. We wrestle through recognizing, God, you've forgiven much. Would you forgive me? Now, would you help me forgive those around me? Thank you for taking care of my unpayable debt. May I forgive the payable debts that are incurred here on this earth. This forgiveness is at the heart of the character of God. Micah, one of my new favorite books of the Bible for some odd reason. Micah chapter seven, verses 18 through 20, read this way. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sin of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob long ago. Forgiveness is at the heart of who God is. And every time we extend forgiveness to those around us. We participate in the saving grace of the gospel. Let God take care of the details. Let God take care of the debt, but release that person from owing you anything. I think our world would be better for it. 
And as this week, you, you, you pray the prayer, I know you're going to be, Father, forgive me as I forgive others. That little prayer, that one little line, may it cause an awakening in your heart that you walk from this place today, realizing the resentment that you may carry, that we might carry for someone. Say, God, forgive me as I go and forgive my brother or my sister. May that be your little prayer.